Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 28. This week, we talked to Kenny Young to find out how to get your boss to pay for Azure, how to become a better developer by Googling it, and Microsoft is doomed. Carl, good to be talking to you again. How's it going? Pretty good. Um, next week, a little bit of news. Uh, we're going to have our show pre-recorded because I'll be at the MVP Summit. And uh, this one is uh, this next bit of news is for you uh, MVPs who will be there. If you find me, I will have several MS Dev Show hats on me and just an absolute <laughs> ton of. You're going to like be wearing them like in a stash? Yes. Yeah. Like cat in a hat. <laughs> and I'll have a whole bunch of MS Dev Show stickers. So if you find me, ask for a hat and I'll give you one. Okay. The, the first the first 10 people to ask me for a hat will get a hat. Well, there you go. So what are you, uh, you going to be wearing the MS Dev Show shirt as well? I'll definitely bring it out. It's going to be almost a week long event, so I, I'm not going to wear it the entire time. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're going to, this is a special occasion. So you're going to actually wash it every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, uh, just look for the beard and that's Carl. So I know that you're pretty excited about that. Everybody is who's going, yeah. I, this is my first time and I've heard that it's just epic. Yeah. And this is just a, there's just so much cool stuff going on. So I, I, I can only imagine. Uh, so we have a really cool guest with us today. So we have Kenny Young, no relation to me, even though he's got the same last name. Welcome, Kenny. Thank you. So Kenny is the director of cloud computing and development at Skyline Technology. So basically he is, well, first of all, Skyline is where Carl works as well. And uh, I worked there a few years ago, and it's actually close to uh, where I live. So I talked to you guys on a, on a pretty regular basis, and uh, we were all sort of talking. We're like, hey, I think it makes sense to have... Uh, Kenny on the show because you have a little bit um, different take. You know, you're you're sort of on the on the business side of the cloud, and you you also see some of the development side. So you can help us bridge that gap and uh, have a cool discussion. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So let's jump into the news because we got some good stuff this week. So let's see, Carl, Microsoft Garage. Yeah, I found this, and this is my way of just getting a whole ton of app of the weeks out there all at once. Okay. Um, <laughs> Clever. So, so if you go to Microsoft.com slash garage, um, this week there was an article about what the Microsoft garage is. You know, it's their kind of R&D hackers, makers, tinkerers, kind of just making whatever they feel like. And if you go to uh, Microsoft.com slash garage and uh, there will be a link on there called Workbench, they have just a ton of apps, most of them for phone, but some of them as well for uh, the PC, and I believe there's even an Xbox game on there. Um, one of the highlights this week was one called Tetra Lock Screen. Uh, during build last year, they had an app called the Live Lock Screen, which had some really cool fade in and out effects. Well, what this one does is it allows you to interact with your lock screen as it's locked to get your location and uh, you know interact with it in multiple different ways without technically unlocking your phone. Oh, that's interesting. So can a lock screen... So yeah. are there any restrictions on what a lock screen can access? It, so I, mean, I guess it's for, your choice to, you know, install so whatever from, lock screen you want. So from what's been made public, um, the, the API for this is not public. So this is something that only oh, okay. Microsoft has. And it's it's my understanding that it does require more low level stuff than the average developer should even have access to. So until they shore up that API, you'll only see stuff that's from Microsoft or really close Microsoft trusted partners. Okay. And since this is from their garage division, um, obviously they have access to this. Um, but there's other really cool things like they have an app 
to share with people where your location is. Um, they've got a, I, I haven't played it, but they've got a game called Nova Bacon. So you're in space <laughs> and you're playing a game that involves bacon. So um, those, those are like my two favorite things. I know. It seems like they're, you're <laughs> flying through restaurants, I think, is a concept, right? Isn't it? For that one? For Nova yeah. Bacon? Yeah. Oh, nice. Sounds pretty fun. Yeah. So I, I've checked out a few of these, not all of them. And like I said, this is a great place to get some stuff that's from Microsoft and, you know, might be a little bit edgy just because it's from their garage uh, division. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I've, I've heard good things. I've actually never been to the garage there. So um, I want to I want to check it out sometime. What was funny is I was I was at a internal Microsoft event and 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 we were supposed to have uh, dinner at, quote unquote, the garage. And it was in Seattle. Well, there's also a place called the garage, which is not the Microsoft garage. So that was confusing and disappointing. So I, I haven't seen the official garage at this point. So I want to check that out. Uh, let's see. Oh, and then you have this on here. Then I know we're going to, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but Microsoft launches Azure cloud in a box. So this is pretty cool. This is a, um, sort of the, the, the easiest way to explain it is it's, you know, servers from Dell that are sort of pre-configured and pre-selected, um, you know, all the infrastructure. So you, you buy a whole bunch of hardware from Dell, you, you know, they come with windows on the windows server and that comes with a technology called Azure pack which is basically a lot of the components from Azure. It's sort of a, uh, I know we've talked about it before on the show, but it's basically taking the Azure API and some of the Azure components and, and making it so that you can run those on-premises. So uh, Dell provides the hardware, Microsoft provides the software. You put those two things together and you have essentially a, a cloud in a box. You can you know run like a hybrid scenario or you could you know start out hitting against the, uh, API that this provides, you know, so you're hitting against an Azure API, but you're hitting against it locally. So you can build up all this automation and around your cloud applications and then ultimately deploy those in the public cloud. So this is, this is pretty neat. Yeah. And another thing that I mentioned too, is that the support comes from Microsoft as well, even for mm-hmm. the hardware. So if you have any issue with this whatsoever, you make that one call and you'll get it resolved. Okay. Yeah. yeah I didn't realize that that's, that's pretty nice because yeah, if you have an issue you know how this works with vendors, right? And it's it's definitely not unique to Dell or Microsoft. It's just a big company thing where vendor A is going to say, well, it's vendor B's fault. And you call them and they're going to say it's vendor A's fault, right? Right. I, you know, we take customers on the data center tour in Chicago all the time. And that question always comes up when they see the containers. Uh, one or more customers always ask, can we, can we buy it by the container? I just, you know, from my standpoint, the consulting we do in the Azure space, I... I can't see the cost effectiveness. I think, Jason, you know, you had mentioned, you know, if you had workloads that were running 24-7, to me, this just sounds like a, a, I don't know, a place for people to stall to go into the cloud, you know, especially in larger organizations. It it gets back to that whole control thing. And I I don't think it's necessary, nor do I think you're getting any of the advantages of, of being out in Azure. I mean, when you look at how the data center is constructed and where it's located and all those things, I think you're losing all those benefits, such as being, you know, third on the list between uh, behind military and police and fire for getting your power and diesel and all those things. And then there's also Microsoft has the red and blue team where the red team is always attacking the facility and the blue team is always protecting it. I think you're losing a ton of that value that's just not coming in something. You know, it's not all about the APIs and the compute power. Uh, The data centers have so much more to offer than that. Right, right. So, yeah, this is a little bit of a you're right. It's it's like stalling. Right. 
But um, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later. But I know that there's some companies that were, you know, they're they're not going to go to public cloud right now. And this is this is their middle ground. And, and it is, you know, a little bit of a little bit of stalling. But at the same time, it, it, it does fill that need temporarily for them. And uh, what's interesting here, too, there's no we're going to link to the Mary Jo Foley article on this, but she was talking about pricing and it doesn't say what it starts at, but it looks like you can go up to uh, basically spending millions of dollars on this thing, which is which is pretty wild because you can get multiple racks that will all work together as an Azure cluster. Very interesting stuff. Um, should we move on? Let's see what we got here. Uh, how to become a better or how to become a programmer or the art of Googling. Well, <laughs> tell me about this one, Carl. Yeah. Um, this guy tells the story of when he was going through college. I mean, he was almost a senior and he felt like he really didn't know much when it came to actual software development. You know, he felt like, you know, going through computer science, they kind of teach you to be a researcher and not actually how to go out and do something that, you know, a software engineer would actually go out and do. And he said he became friends with, you know, somebody who he thought he thought of as a hacker. I mean, he just kind of in his mind knew everything. And he kind of asked him one day, he heard that um, this other guy was going to uh, a hackathon and he asked if he could just kind of tag with. He's like, I don't want to be part of it. You know, his self-confidence was that low, but mm-hmm. I just want to see you. And he said he went there and he's he noticed that the guy, he he didn't know what he was doing. He had a high enough level of concepts that he knew of all these things that were out there but he could know how to search and find for the answers to put all those pieces together. Exactly. Exactly. And and he says after he kind of started taking that approach and learning how to Google for things and learning, you know, he had the high end knowledge. He just used his newfound search skills to figure out how to stitch them all together. He said it wasn't very long before he realized that, you know, he wasn't up to that guy's level yet, but it didn't take long before he realized he was definitely a class above the rest of his peers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's any problem with this. I I uh, I was recently on a plane and the, the Wi-Fi wasn't working. And actually, some of these regional jets don't have Wi-Fi. And I wanted to come up with uh, and I actually published this on GitHub, but I wanted a little interface for creating SAS tokens for event hubs for Azure event hubs. And I had, you know, a console app version and I wanted to basically make a, a web version of that to make it easier for people to use. And uh, without Wi-Fi, you know, first of all, I, I went to Visual Studio and I did, you know, file new project and somehow they're caching some of the NuGet packages. But you can't, you know, you can't pull in those those NuGet packages whenever you're, uh, you know, outside of Wi-Fi. But I kept running into situations where I'm like, you know, I know exactly how this control works. I just don't remember the exact, you know, property name or syntax or whatever. And the source is obfuscated, um, you know, so I, did, I, I, I think that it's just it's just a part of our development lives now. You need some kind of reference and and, uh, you know, I'm not the books can't keep up on this type of thing. So I, it's not like I was going to have an angular book with me to, to stay up to date. <laughs> so you pretty much need, you know, Google or Bing as a as a reference. And uh, one other thing I wanted to to bring up here, and I'm, I'll include a link to this in the show notes too, is uh, um, tech support cheat sheet from XKCD. Have you guys seen this? No. Yep. Okay. So basically, it says, um, "Dear various parents, grandparents, coworkers, and other not computer people, we don't magically know how to do everything in every program. <laughs> when we help you, we're usually just doing this, and it's it's a flow chart. It says start. It says find a menu item or button which looks related to what you want to do." Uh, basically if it says, I can't find one, it says pick one at random, uh, click it, 
did it work? Yes or no. And it sort of puts you into this loop of just, you're just trying things or you're just searching for what you're trying to do and, and doing it that way. I love that, Jason. You know, it's always, you know, computers, right? You know, my mom asked me about a Nexus 5 yesterday. I don't know anything about phones. I'll probably have to go and ask Carl. <laughs> so it's kind of, uh, or I'll point them to to Bing or whatnot and say, well, what are people saying about it? What are the reviews on Amazon saying about it? You know, it's um, interesting. That not only goes for people at in the technical world, but it, it seems to now be down at the consumer level as well, how they find out things and, and what they're going to, in this case, purchase as opposed to program. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's... Uh, I, I think most of us, uh, one of the questions I often get, especially on the intern interviews, is how can I be successful uh, at Skyline? And my, my answer to that is always being resourceful. You know, being resourceful mm-hmm. is probably better than a high, a high IQ these days. Yeah, it's not, it's not an achievement to, like, not use a tool in your toolbox, right? Right. It's, it's, it's knowing what tools are available and, and using all of them. And, and honestly, like, this is happening in every industry. I know that... Um, I read something recently where the, the person said that they went to the doctor and the doctor, you know, listen, all the symptoms. And then they, they did a Google search and they're like, oh, you have this. And the, the, the patient, the patient was kind of offended. They're like, what? Shouldn't you know this? And it's really like they would have felt more comfortable if if there were some books on the shelf, you know, in the in the if the doctor had picked up the correct book and gone to just the right page and like looked up something, they probably wouldn't have felt so bad. But that's really what they did online too. They didn't just Google like, you know, sore throat, back pain, right? They, they, they knew exactly what they were looking for and they just wanted that one extra piece of information. So knowing what to search for and how to interpret the information that you get back. Wow. Yeah. The next article that I have is kind of related, but kind of just takes a slightly different twist to it. It's called talking less, doing more. And it's a story about how uh, a lady that's uh, a developer went to a con- uh, conference and met this high school student who's really into gaming and kind of, you know, skipping through some of the story, decided that she was going to teach this young girl how to program a game, too. Mm-hmm. And the moral of the story is it, it doesn't matter, you know, you know how much you theoretically understand something, but just going out and doing it just she went in and day after day just taught her a little bit more code, a little bit more. And within no time, this high school student had created quite a few games. So it's one of my pieces of advice, too, when talking to people and, and giving them career advice. Like, if you don't know something, make a quick console app. You mm-hmm. know, just go just do it in code. You don't quite understand it. You know, just flailing about isn't going to help. You know, sometimes just walking through the steps that are needed it may not get you there right away but it'll get you there a lot quicker than trying to worry about what you don't know yep just get started and then the other thing is i and i had a blog post on this recently um, that i called do it in public so basically you know anytime you're doing something like this too you're making these console apps put them out in github you know because somebody somebody could be searching uh you know they're desperately stuck in you know with some problem that that you have already solved or um you know, they there, there might be other people that issue, give you a pull request or give you feedback or whatever. And don't be don't be afraid. I mean, people will give you bad feedback or or whatever. But I, I just think there's a lot of advantages to putting this stuff out in, in public as well. So just learning out in public and uh, and working with the community. I think there's a lot of uh, benefits in that. OK, what do we got next here? Let's see here. Move move from Windows Phone Silverlight to WinRT. So I'm guessing this is very relevant 
to what you're working on, Carl. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> well, well, first of all, you know, since this spring, Microsoft's been having this huge push into WinRT. Uh, mm-hmm. They've created the Universal App Projects, which is WinRT, um, that you can develop for both uh, desktop, phone, and eventually uh, Xbox as well. And there, there are at this point, you can kind of take your existing skill set. It's not a hundred percent just move my code over, but there are a, a very good, you know, uh, it, it's not bad moving your apps over mm-hmm. unless there's a few APIs that are, are really different. And this kind of just brings out like, hey, and the one that bit me this week was clipboard. You know, there are is no clipboard support on Windows Phone in WinRT. So if you are thinking about making that upgrade, like Microsoft is suggesting, suggesting mm-hmm. at this point, you know, for the most part, go ahead. They highly recommend it. They give some tips and tools, but um, there's a whole list of things on here that you might want to check out just to see if, if this is something you want to provide. Um, you can't make a WinRT lens app. So if that's something that you're okay. interested in, um, if you want to make a lens app, you're better off sticking with Silverlight for now until they come out with the next version of the uh, the platform. So the clipboard functionality it's just not there and there's it's no way to drop back and do it no way to do it programmatically okay so in your app it'll bring up the keyboard with the copy paste stuff already there but okay. you can't just do clipboard.set text like you can in in even in winrt for the desktop okay so what what is your advice here in general if you're starting a new app are you now recommending winrt i i am and, app? Okay. and this is a change you know just based upon new information you yep. know um you know, Microsoft is making this huge push and it's not just because they feel like it. Um, this is the way that they want the majority of people to go and feel that it's a better way to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm currently making it a universal app and, you know, it, it's going a lot smoother than I anticipated because I thought there were a lot more of those exceptions that this article, uh, you know, brings up. Mm-hmm. And in my case, uh, the clipboard stuff, you know, it's not a deal breaker. It was one of those nice to haves for me. Yeah. One of the things I found annoying was like the HTTP client. And I I worked with you on this because you're like, it's there. And I'm like, it's not there, Carl. And you're like, yes, it is. And and here it's it's because, you know, I I thought I was doing Silverlight. You you thought I was doing Silverlight. That's what you were doing. I hear I was in our win RT and didn't even realize it. And, uh, you know, like there's just minor little changes like that that you have to get used to. Yep. So is there. Oh, go ahead. And I was going to say this article helps you kind of bridge that gap. Okay. Is there any kind of tipping point that's sort of obvious whenever you're um, if you have a Silverlight app and you have to, you know, change some pretty major features in it? Should you just should you convert over to this or or is that just a really loaded I, question? I think that's a little loaded. I think at this time, if you already have like an extensive Silverlight app, you're probably best maintaining it because it is going to be supported for the meantime. Mm-hmm. It's just um, going forward. We know that the the most edge development or the, the best APIs will be available on WinRT first coming right. forward. And, right. and this is just preparing for that. So if you're doing something new, something Greenfield, as long as you don't need a few of those you know exceptions, I would say go ahead with the universal app, especially if you want to support both the desktop and phone. Okay. Let's talk about infinity space. <laughs> <laughs> so today, uh, this is sort of breaking news. If you have um, Office 365, if you have like a personal or business, what any kind of Office 365 subscription, uh, you now, instead of just getting a terabyte of OneDrive space, you now get unlimited OneDrive space, which is pretty cool. I mean, let's be honest, though, a terabyte was it was essentially 
an, an infinite amount. But what's most interesting about this is if you pay for something like Dropbox or I think boxes in the same boat, you end up paying $10 a month for, I, you know, I can't, I can't recall the amount of storage that they give you for, for paying for it. But with this, you pay $7 a month and you actually get unlimited storage. Plus you get office, you know, like full office and you get to install it on multiple machines. So this is, this is actually pretty crazy. Whenever you think about it, this is a, this is just such an insane deal. Yeah. I was blown away when you told me about this earlier today. I was like, what really? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, in, in, here's the thing though. I know some services have done like unlimited and, uh, and then they've had to shut down because of uh, abuse. You know, it's like the, the 0.001% of people are, are, I don't know what the heck they're uploading, but it's ridiculous how much space it takes up. And, uh, you know, so this, I'm, I'm wondering how that's going to get handled. You know, I, I, I can't imagine there's going to be any kind of throttling. I, I don't know if it's just going to be kind of a loss leader or what, uh, I, or maybe it's not, maybe storage is just cheap enough that, okay, that one person is completely abusing the system and, and they're just, they break even on one person. I don't know. Now, I, I, you know, I hope nobody's live streaming their DVR to Azure storage like this, but, uh, you know, if they do come down on people, I hope they just take care of those individuals. <laughs> Also, now you're going to call me out, huh? No, because I, <laughs> I actually, I, I, uh, I've done something sort of similar where, um, you know, I have, a, I have a couple of different security cameras and, you know, they need a place to store their files on disk and, uh, you know, you can have it, use it to upload those to the cloud. But honestly, in that case, my, my concern is, you know, my upload speed isn't that great and, um, it's not, it's not that great of a solution, but, uh, but this is still, this is still pretty wild. It's just nice not having to worry about. Um, you know, filling up that space at all. And then I know we've talked about this before, but the fact that in Windows 8, I should say Windows 8, 1 and above you, uh, the files like they don't even they'll they'll sort of show up virtually on your machine. And whenever you open them, it'll pull them down, um, but they don't have to be on your machine. You can override it and say, I want this on my machine, but you can uh, you know, you can have a machine with a half terabyte hard drive and have 10 terabytes of, of files in your one drive. And unlike Dropbox, you don't have to go through and sort of selectively pick what you want in there. It's just automatic. Yeah, I, I really like that, especially with photos. You take it on your uh, phone and then it, mm -hmm. it shows up on whatever you know other device you're on. I mean, it's amazing the way they've done that to be able to pull your profiles across. But one thing I'd like to mention, the Office 365 really really like the direction that's that's going especially with office for mac this year and having the apps on the ipads and whatnot that was mm -hmm. uh, such a great breakthrough and i think it really um hardened the message that microsoft's trying to give you know they're they are trying to be agnostic in a lot of ways uh, especially on the front end if we look at the azure platform supporting php and ruby and all all the other great languages out there making them first class citizens and now when you look at office 365 that message is then being um I guess, uh, solidified in that their, their biggest competitor when it comes to tablets, certainly, uh, well, Android as well, but they're, they're having apps on there. Great mm -hmm. for business. I just, I like that given people can still have the flexibility, uh, use the devices they really like to use, uh, and still be able to get access to the information they need. Well done. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. And I don't even have an iPhone or an, an iPad, but I'm actually licensed, uh, to use the software in there. So I have a, you know, I have a, a regular personal, office 365 account and that actually covers my entire household so i have my my kids are part of that account my wife is in that account they all now get unlimited onedrive space and they get full access to all of the office all of the office applications on all of their devices because uh, my kids have tablets and desktops and laptops and stuff yeah. like that so 
they have they can have all of this installed across all their different devices and uh it's it's just amazing how 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 cheap it is it it used to be i remember when office in the store was like 600 bucks right <laughs> I do and, too. Yeah. and i i worked at i worked at office max and, and we'd have we'd have people come in and they're like oh i need to i need to pick up a copy of office i'm like oh okay well you realize that it's you know i think the cheapest one was like 400 bucks or 500 bucks something like that and they're like you got to be kidding me you know just you, you could just see that you just destroyed their life because that that's, you know, <laughs> like oh, yeah. all the money that they have going toward office. And now you can pay, you know, a hundred bucks a year. Actually, you can even pay less than that. The hundred bucks a year will cover your entire family uh, or, your, you know, your entire household. But the um, I think it's like 60 or 70 bucks for the for the one for just one person per year. And that's so much easier to, to digest. Yeah, sure. Especially now you can get the device and office on it for cheaper yep. than what you used to pay for office or what we used to pay for office. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. So what do we got here? Oh, last one. Uh, Microsoft reports a stellar quarter. So this was kind of a big deal. The reason I pointed this out is, uh, and actually, so Carl, you just sent me. This is a follow up to this article. Okay. Should I, do we want to go over that first or second here? No. Second. Okay. So, so first of all, the reason this is kind of interesting is because of, and I'm glad that you brought, brought this other article up, Carl, is this whole, like, you know, Microsoft is, uh, is going out of business talk, which always just blows me away. Um, considering how many billion dollar businesses there are separately within Microsoft and uh, some of the competitors have, you know, one, maybe two products. Uh, but what was interesting out of this is, is the market cap now of Microsoft is bigger than Google. So Apple is once again a bigger company than Google. Um, cloud is huge right now uh, for for you know Microsoft Azure and and uh, and Microsoft. So 128 uh, percent year over year growth, which is huge. And then the other big thing out of this too was that Surface made almost a billion dollars. That was in in revenue, which is not profit, but a billion dollars in revenue is nothing to sneeze at. That means people went out and bought a billion dollars worth of Surface devices, which is pretty cool. So now, Carl, you want to contrast that with this article here? Yeah. So this article is is actually entirely agreeing with everything you're saying, Jason, but it's called Microsoft is doomed, doomed. Yeah. And and one of the big key takeaways there is it, in the middle, he says Microsoft has one division with $10 billion in quarterly revenue and five other co- with quarterly revenues of $2 billion or more. <laughs> yeah. And, and for comparison, Yahoo, all of it, not just one sec- section, just reported $1.15 billion in quarterly revenue. So Microsoft <laughs> is just, I mean, that's crazy. So surface is like as, as almost as big as Yahoo. Is that what you're saying? Cor- correct. Where does it and, say that about? Yeah. I just want to confirm it, that. Cause that sounds it's, crazy. It's the last paragraph underneath that chart. So right before the, the table of numbers, but underneath, you know, it, it says, you know, like let's the facts show this Microsoft is printing money. Mm-hmm. The death of the PC and Windows and Office and Surface and Xbox are all exaggerated. Yeah. I mean, all, all of the numbers show that these are businesses that are doing well. And they've all had year over year growth, including the Lumia, which a lot of people like to give Windows Phone a hard time because in the US, you know, it's sitting around three or four percent. All these numbers you gave are quarterly. Quarterly numbers. Oh, I was thinking they were yearly. Holy crap. So yeah, yeah. Yahoo. Their quarterly earnings were 1.15 billion. That is absolutely insane. So if you split pretty, I'm pretty sure. And I, most of this, I'm just picking up externally. I, I don't have a, definitely don't have any inside finance information that there's like, 
you know, somewhere between like 16 and 18 separate billion dollar businesses within, um, within Microsoft. So I'm guessing half of those are, are if you, even if you split it up, half of those would still be bigger than Yahoo. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. And and a lot of times, you know, it's just, you know, remembering, you know, where we are, because I mean, if you're an Apple fanboy, you're going to defend that. If, if they're selling more than Microsoft, Microsoft's dying. You know, if if you like Google better than Bing and Bing's not doing as well, Bing is dying. Well, it's still making a lot more money than you are. Yeah. It's just tough because, you know, I, I, I love the company. I love working for the company. And it's, it's tough whenever you hear people, you know, cause th- this one was sort of a jokingly say, my, saying Microsoft is doomed, but you have, there are articles that like honestly believe that. And, um, they're just like, Oh, yep. I give them one more year. And <laughs> you look at this information and it, you know, this, this is as far as big tech companies, I don't know of any that is diversified this well. Um, you know, every other company, you know, Apple, they, they do really good with one or two products and, you know, good for them. They, they do an awesome job. They, I think they make good products, but, um, I mean, they have a lot of eggs in just a few baskets. Um, so, you know, they're either going to do really good or they're going to really do bad. And I think Microsoft has a big advantage of, um, sometimes one division does good and another does bad and then vice versa. You know, I don't really pay attention to a lot of those articles that talk about the Microsoft doom and gloom and stuff like that, but I'm going to have to read one or two just to see what they're basing it on other than just making up a headline. I mean, anyone who has, uh, you know, any bit of a rational mind, um, you're obviously creating that news to to draw drama or people who like, uh, you know, some of those uh, Hollywood news type uh, magazines is what it reminds me of. Just a bunch of BS. Uh, It's unbelievable. Yeah, he actually this is this is hilarious. So we actually linked to some of these in the article. So the first one is Microsoft's long, slow decline. It was from 2009. (laughs) And then and then here are a couple of his other favorites. These two photos show what a disaster Microsoft is today. The next one is the irrelevance of Microsoft. Uh, The next one is how Microsoft lost its way as understood through the wire. And then the next one, uh, the PC industry is digging its own grave. And that one's about Microsoft. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we don't have to we don't have to talk about this one to death. I just. I, it's, it's just amazing. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't be interesting, right? If, if everybody just said, oh yeah, yeah. You know, all companies are doing pretty good and have their ups and downs. They got to, you know, you got to sort of create drama wherever you can or look for drama. So and, and it is just what it's clear. Like these articles aren't coming from the onion, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Actually this one, it's funny cause it ends in, uh, I N I O N. No, it's techpinions.com. All right. Okay, what do we got next, Carl? We got some listener feedback. Yeah, and just as a reminder, if anybody out there wants to contact the show, um, we'll gladly, uh, you know, read back your email and you know the answers on the air. Well, uh, be careful what you say. Well, we might. We'll glad- <laughs> <laughs> it must be appropriate for the topic. I'll right, say. right. So yeah, this one was um, this was Alan O'Neill wrote in, and he was talking about the massive jump in sound quality that we had. I think that was around one of the early episodes. And basically we switched from, um, you know, just whatever headsets we could, we could find at the junkyard to, um, to actually buying some high end equipment. So he was asking what type of equipment we were using and we helped him over email a little bit, but I think it really comes down to, um, you know, uh, having a, having a good microphone and, and as we found it's, it's having some of the other stuff too. So we have the high LPR 40 microphone. So that's what like, Twit uses and, and some of those podcasts. And when I was doing research for this, 
what's interesting about it is, is you, you, if you search around for high LPR 40 and podcasts, there'd be a lot of people that, that are saying, oh, well, this microphone is a bit expensive. Um, so you might not want to get this initially. You might work up to this, blah, blah, blah. And that just, that kind of kills me because, you know, a lot of these people drop, you know, four grand on a, you know, MacBook pro retina. Right. And then all of a sudden it's a $300 microphone and it's, it, you know, oh, geez, that's so expensive. Um, I mean, if you're going to run a podcast, you know, the, the content really is key, but you don't want to turn people off with the sound quality either. And that's why we went and we bought the best. And, and another point, too, is we started with whatever we had laying around mm-hmm. and we, we made sure that we wanted to continue doing right. this. <laughs> right. And once once we made that decision, we're like, we're all in at this point. Yep. So exactly. And then and then we found like you had. I know you had the high LPR 40 on a, on a mic stand that was on your, your desk. And then we found that, you know, we were sort of testing like what was actually necessary and the spider mount for these things, which is sort of like rubber bands that, that suspend the microphone in the air is necessary because otherwise you pick up all this vibration and uh, movement from the desk. Um, I have a, uh, an arm that swings, you know, in front of me and, and out from in front of me. Um, I think you just have, what are you using now? Do you have any kind of arm or is it just a desk stand? It's still the same desk stand that we originally got. It's just that we're now using the spider mount to kind of be a okay. shock absorber. So that was the key. And then also, you know, we have, you know, a pop filter on, on the front. But other than that, I mean, we have a, a USB. We have a pretty inexpensive USB interface into the computer to go from the, um, I think they're XLR jacks into into USB, essentially. Um, we do have pretty high end um, compressor gate limiters, which makes it so that, you know, like right now when Carl isn't talking, he's actually not putting any sound into his computer whatsoever, which is nice for editing. But, you know, my, my thoughts on that now are if, you know, that hardware is really meant for, for doing like a live show. And if you're not doing a live show, if you're going to pre-record it, you can easily mimic that entire piece of hardware in software. So I'm actually, I'm kind of excited because this is the first episode. This episode will be the first one. Hopefully this goes okay. That I edit in, um, uh, Adobe audition. I used to use audacity, which was free. And, uh, I just got with the last episode, I got kind of fed up with all of the manual steps that I had to do in audacity. And there's audacity is actually extremely powerful, but kind of the more I learned, the, the more I realized that it was not really designed to simplify your workflow. It was meant to be super powerful and free. Um, so that's why I'm going to try uh, audition for this next episode and I'll let you know how it goes, but it has like super advanced gating built into it so that whenever a track goes down to, you know, a certain level, it's gone anyway. Cause you know, figure right now, Kenny's listening in and he's got, you know, he doesn't have that compressor gate limiter. So I got to run a, a software gate on his channel anyway. Um, so anyway, so the two big things are good microphone and, uh, and then using the right software to, to help you know, clear up that, that audio channel. I'm going to try to hopefully write this up at some point. What I want to do is I want to have uh, my workflow all figured out in, in audition. And then I'll probably just have a sort of a mega post that talks about all the hardware that we use and how we clean everything up. Cause there, I know that there's a lot of people that are interested in that and it, it is cool stuff. I mean, we're tech guys, right? I know some other podcasts really don't like to talk about that kind of stuff, but um, I don't know. I, I think it's cool. And people that are developers, I think are interested in, in, in that type of thing. You're not going to, we're not going to turn into a podcasting show, but I still think it's interesting. Anything else you want me to mention there, Carl? I think we should get on to Kenny. Okay. Let's talk to Kenny. How's it going, Kenny? Very good. Thanks. <laughs> so let's talk about Azure. So what we're talking about today is, 
you know, kind of the, the business case for Azure or, you know, like what, what we've talked about before was how to get your boss to pay for Azure. Right. Um, I know that you gave a presentation. It was down at that conference down in uh, Wisconsin Dells. Mm-hmm. And I can't, what did you, what was the title of that? I believe it was called, um, selling cloud to the sea level. Right. Right. And I know that you and I had a discussion and, and I was like, you know, Kenny, the there's, you know, there's ends what ends up happening. You know, you probably talk to people a little bit higher up, but a lot of times it's the, it's the people at the lower levels, it's the developers that want to use this stuff and they got to, you know, sort of make it happen within their organization. So that's why, you know, we were talking, I was like, you know, really you should call this how to get your boss to pay for Azure because it, it, it makes sense the entire way up the chain. You have to, cons- you have to talk your boss into it. Then, then he or she has to talk their boss into it and so on and so forth the whole way up to the top level. Absolutely. And, and you know, certainly the security officer is key in there as well, if they have mm-hmm. one or whoever's responsible for those duties. Oh, <laughs> it's like a swear word. <laughs> so what do you want to start in that conversation? It's like, it's like lawyer. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess the, so where we want to start the conversation here is, um, you know, what type of, what type of adoption are you seeing, first of all, with your customers in Azure? You know, so I've been in this position now for three years and, and working with, uh, remember we had, uh, you know, ASP and then we went through SaaS and all that. So I guess one form or another, I've been in around the cloud for, uh, for 10 years, uh, working with, uh, I own an ISV at one point where we did that. Um, mm-hmm. and then of course the terms moved over to PaaS and so on, all this stuff. Anyway, current day. Uh, if we went back three years ago, it was certainly a lot more education. Uh, and if mm-hmm. I went into places and asked, you know, what, what's the level of education? It was probably one out of five. I'm getting about a two or three out of five now when okay. I go in. And in the last year, I've seen a lot of change. Uh, it's it's just, it's cloud everywhere now. Everybody, if they're not, if they don't have a plan to move to it, they're being asked why they don't and are they working on one. So really, you know, for us going in, it's helping them trying to find a starting point because that, that seems to be the biggest thing is where do I start? What application do I pick? You know, do you do with something that's an application or do we deal with storage or, or how do we even approach it? So uh, that's probably the biggest thing is helping people find that starting point. So, you know, I can tell you all day, oh, it's supposed to save you costs and provisioning cuts down and it's, it's all these different things. But at the end of the day, it takes people to make it happen. So the biggest message we send, and I think you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, is you got to just get out there and try it, whether it's signing up for Amazon's service or Azure. I mean, most people have an access and credits. For example, if you have MSDN, um, you have probably in around, give or take, depending on what version that you have, of $100 a month that you can be spending to try it. And I find that's probably the best advice that we give out and it's the best advice our customers give out. As far as trending, um, last six months, it seems like every six months, if I go back uh, to January of this year compared to where we are today, uh, the demand has definitely gone on the rise. Customers are much more educated. They've probably deployed an app. And if they haven't done it in the organization, I'm seeing that uh, there might be a developer, an IT pro in the room that might have done a website for a family member, uh, a small client on the side, and that's what they ended up using, whether it's Amazon or Azure or any of the others. And so certainly because of that now, there's certainly a lot more interest and we're getting a lot more action. Okay. Yeah, I know we we were at a conference together, a manufacturing conference uh, recently that I mentioned, and uh, you know it blew me away. And I I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Carl, but we were, we were talking to somebody, and and uh, 
she was very interested in, in, um, you know, some of the things that the skyline was building and, and some of the things that Microsoft was doing. And then I mentioned, uh, Azure and she goes, Oh, I haven't heard of Azure yet. And, you know, I, it's so interesting because I, you know, I talk to developers all the time and, and they have such a good understanding of, um, I would say relatively speaking of what Azure is and cloud computing in general. Um, but we sort of forget that, you know, your, your typical business person might not have any clue what it is. So I could see how that's, that's been, you know, uh, it's been a lot of work getting to where we're at. So it's, it's promising hearing that we're, at least it's improving a little bit. I think so. And I think, you know, they may not know Azure or AWS or anything, but at the same time, they'll have one uh, one or more variations of what the cloud means to them. And I think where it gets confusing is unless they're actually involved in a project or um, they think it's a lot more complicated than what it is. Or, for example, you know, I saw an ad it has been running now for a number of months where you can have your own, uh, they call it your own private cloud at home. And I can't remember the manufacturer. Oh, uh-huh. is that at, that Western Digital? Yeah, you know, and yeah. Like, oh, great. Okay, so you hooked up Wi-Fi <laughs> to an external storage device, and now you're going to sell that as cloud. That's the cloud, yeah. Right? I mean, it's just it's ridiculous here um, <laughs> how the messaging has, has just come in so many different ways. And um, so I think that that's part of our responsibility as developers, uh, as managers in IT, and and, you know, even over in marketing, you know, that's a huge consumer of cloud services. And I think it's our responsibility certainly to give a, I guess, a clearer message of exactly what it is, how it impacts their role, and how it can benefit the organization. Um, knowing the word cloud, you know, just doesn't cut it. So uh, we're out there basically on a daily basis spreading that message. So when you're out talking to companies or maybe managers within the company, you know, what is the hesitation that you see when you try to introduce them or, or try to get them to move to the cloud? Yeah, it really comes down to two things. It's uh, the security of the data, of course, in the application, and the security of their job. So I'll, I'll take on the security officer first. Um, you know, they have a job to do. They are absolutely responsible 100% for any kind of security breaks. And, and so, you know, at the end of the day, they're just protecting what they've built up. And I totally get that. And this is where the education comes in. Let's take a typical data center, okay, that's in an organization. I'm going to pick on uh, a place that I used to work. And I'm guessing we had less than a million dollars in investment in that place. It was in a closet. Yes, it was behind a little pass key. Uh, It relied on a generator that was part of a larger building. And uh, with that, you know, we were paying people who had to make sure that, of course, it was organized and that we had the floor and it was monitored. That we had people going out to check and make sure the generator was working. We had drives that were failing that were necessary because it doesn't work the way a cloud service does. And when a drive fails, it doesn't matter. We actually had to replace the drives. So I look at that as a whole, and and not to mention, we had no security officer. We had nobody really doing penetration tests except for when we were made to do it by the auditors. Now let's let's look at the cloud. And Microsoft down in Chicago, the building alone was half a billion dollars. That's not counting all the compute power that's in there. There are uh, staffs of people who are their job is to either break in or protect it. There's also uh, the all the product groups that build on top of that. You know, so so let's look at that in those investment areas. And and what doesn't make sense to me is you trust this facility that you have IT pros who are spread across numerous technologies, numerous different hardware devices. They have pressure on them from sourcing to buy certain types of hardware to make sure it fits their cost model. And and all the maintenance and taking care of that. 
Um, I think it's ignorant to think that you can do a better job than someone who's dedicated. Hence, that's why Colos came into existence, right? But there mm-hmm. seems to be people just don't want to have their data leave those machines that are sitting in the room that's across the hall from them. So that's certainly a big one. And when it comes to the IT pros, I think there's a bit of a worry that there could be some job loss because of this automation. And what I always tell them is the worst thing that's going to happen after this project is your CV is going to look better and you're probably going to get more recruiters calling you, which is the truth because their job is not going away. We've never seen anyone being let go. What does happen is groups like DevOps come to play. Um, I think the biggest mistake people are making is not taking the time, especially in the area of IT pros, uh, not taking the time to learn about it, to try some provisioning, to get those new skills. Because if we look back, we went from physical to virtual. Now we're going to cloud. And, you know, I don't recall people being as hesitant when it came to a virtualized environment to picking up those skills. So it's kind of disappointing to see if there are a lot of times the hesitation uh, because there's hesitation without the education. So they don't really have any real reasons to hesitate other than the fear of the unknown. I've had things like, well, I heard the cloud, you know, whether it's Azure or AWS, it's not ready for production yet. Um, You know, I've, I've heard that um, it has a ton of downtime. The problem is when you go in and ask these questions in an organization, a lot of times they don't have any of these metrics in place to even compare what a cloud solution offers compared to what they're doing on-premise. They really, because they're spread so thin, they don't have time to dial into some of these things. So I could ramble on here for the next hour. I'm going to stop right now, and, uh, <laughs> and, we'll, and maybe you guys can chime in. Maybe we are related. No, I, I like the... Uh, <laughs> I, lo- I love your comparison of physical to virtual that is i i don't know why but i i have never thought about that before where there was that transition from from physical machines to virtual machines nobody threw a fit every they were everybody embraced it all you know at least that was my experience everybody in it was like this is the greatest thing ever absolutely and and it was a it was a changing of their skill sets it wasn't it wasn't that they got fired it was a changing of their skill sets mm-hmm. the hardware prices went down um, I don't think the IT talent required to maintain it changed. Um, and now that we're going to the cloud, the cloud itself doesn't necessarily mean that they're getting replaced again. Again, their their skills just need to change. And um, yeah, so I, I think that's I think that's a really good comparison. Now we could probably have a completely separate conversation about DevOps, but um, I you know I don't I don't really think that's that's probably not. Uh, we should probably have a separate episode on that. To be honest with you. I think you guys definitely should cover that at some point. Yeah, that's a good idea. Put that down, Carl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that would be a, a good topic. But you're right that just the the fact that you go to, to the cloud and then and you brought up another good point, which was, um, you know, c- doing that comparison. I I just I talk to people all the time about this, and and they're like, well, we need X number of nines. Okay, well, what are you at now? And and they they don't have an answer to it. And I I know in the back of their mind they're thinking, well, it's a hundred. You know, it's a hundred percent. Like we. We did have that one time it went down, but that wasn't a big deal. So that doesn't count. Okay. Well, it does count. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing is, um, there's typically no measurement in place. And if there is a lot right. of the alerting, uh, you know, monitoring and things like that they have in place is a lot of piecemeal. It's not being watched enough because to be honest, the IT pros are stretched way too thin at every single organization I go into. And for me, I see the cloud as a, as a point for them to sort of, uh, 
get back ahead of the game. You know, they're they're like the plumbers of the organization. And when things are going well, nobody says anything. Soon as something goes wrong, they're all over those guys. You know, I I don't know how they do it day in and day out. I, kudos to them for being able to uh, do such a job. That really, I mean, they do some of the most important work and get the least amount of gratitude from the business. So, you know, to me, I'm trying to, to tell them that, man, this is going to get you to the point where you're going to be able to automate a lot of this. You're going to have better monitoring. You're going to be able to focus and do customer service. And at the end of the day, wouldn't you love to just get ahead of the game and not be firefighting, you know, 24-7 all the time? So. Um, and it does get through to a lot of people, certainly. Okay. And then get those metrics so that, like you said, they can actually get credit for what they've been doing. Absolutely. That is one of the biggest issues. I mean, I, I've been on that that side of things and, and this is going to sound really bad. This is like, you know, kind of a confession time, but you know, we would have, we would have really bad downtime every once in a while. We'd have, you know, the phone system go out or, um, heck even the power, just having the power die for an hour. Oh yeah. And and we, we needed that every once in a while <laughs> so that they knew like what we were there for, you know, because if when, when, like you said, you know, when everything is running perfectly fine, nobody ever thinks about you. And uh, so so having an, an issue every once in a while, I would say, would make them think like, you know, at first they were like, oh, well, you know, OK, well, IT is not doing their job. But then afterward, once everything was running, then you were the heroes again. <laughs> right. And it shouldn't be that way. Like you should be able to be a hero without having that uh, that problem you know, to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> you should I be agree. able to say like, Hey, look, we had a hundred percent downtime during production or, you know, or whatever it is. And, and, and that's, you should be able to present those metrics. So that, that's, that's a really good point. Um, so what are some, uh, so I'm, I'm curious whenever you're trying to persuade these people to, um, uh, you know, these people are hesitant, hesitant to go out to the cloud. Um, what are some good arguments or techniques that you use? Ah, uh, so first of all, you know, one thing that I always try to do is certainly I don't want to talk uh, in obscurities or anything like that. So first thing I want to do is I want to understand the customer, what they're doing, how their business works, where they're located, who are the customers they're servicing. And I think from there, we're really going in to identify, you know, to me in the background, what I'm thinking is, okay, that's that workload. This could go in this workload. And I'm always thinking about we always want that first project to the cloud to be, you know, uh, low risk easy transition, make them look as good, make them look really good. And then from there, uh, more cloud projects will follow. And and to be honest, you know, and this may not be the philosophy of all, all uh, folks who are out there, consultancies and whatnot, but I don't care if it's a $100 a month website, to be honest. My main goal is to educate, get them comfortable with it, and the rest takes care of it. I've never had a customer turn back. Um, and... Uh, I just think you just got to get out there and try it. Nothing's too small to try, right? And so as mm-hmm. far as convincing them to go out there, I think it's got to be something that's really going to help them in the role and help the organization. So there's no one one answer to that. You know, I guess if you could generalize, it'd be probably things where we could automate things, give a higher availability on it. Um, in a lot of cases, for the same price, we can offer a, a solution that's maybe uh, geo-redundant uh, compared to what they're paying maybe, let's say, at a colo where they have a single point of failure. So it's things like that that are really, I want to understand what's really driving that business. Now, like uh, another point of this too is, is a cost factor. Now I I have Azure MSDN credits in Azure and I've forgotten to turn off a VM and it (laughs) used up all my credits pretty quickly because of what I was doing. And I've played around with the Azure calculate pricing calculator and I've seen some of the astronomical, you know, numbers that are in there. I've also heard of, you know, other people that have, you know, accidentally done things in Azure, you know, 
you know, when does the cloud not make sense from a pricing area? Yeah, so it could be like, um, so let's go into a few of those. So first of all, I'm going to say, uh, Carl, you hopefully had that spending limit on and shut it <laughs> down. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, it, that's certainly painful. And there's, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but most of these cloud providers will not give you credit back for your mistake on that. So what I will say there is um, if you don't have scripts, Make sure you have some kind of script that can loop through your trial account or a spending limit on it and uh, make sure you don't get stuck with thousands of dollars. Well, I'm sure you get this, Kenny. I, I've, I've gotten this many times where we say, hey, you should use the cloud for dev test or, or whatever or for yeah. this particular application. And they, they always come back with the, maybe not even a spreadsheet, but sort of on the, the back of the napkin math. And they, they write down, um, OK, well, this has to run 24-7. And I can buy a Dell blah, blah, blah for $3,000. Yes. Um, so that's going to be $1,000 a year. You divide that up. That's, you know, like $83 a month or whatever that comes out to be. Yep. And they said that is far more powerful than, you know, your small instance for the same price. Yeah. Um, you know, so like, why, why should I do this? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you get that too. We do. Absolutely. I mean, I guess let's go through a couple that don't make sense. And that would be obviously if you have AS 400, you know, we're not, we're not going to put that out in the cloud anytime soon. There's no plans there. I'm sure. Um, secondly is that, you know, there's some information that, uh, maybe it's just because of it's a, it's a legacy system and it just, the information traveling from the cloud down to your desktop just maybe doesn't make sense. Or maybe you've got uh, BI systems that when they were designed a number of years ago, you know, it's pulling a gig down through for you to do your report. Some of that mm-hmm. gets a little more complicated. And with that, you need, you know, obviously you need something like an express route, something that's going to give you that direct connection, which in turn is, is a lot of cost. On the flip side of that, there's no... Um, there's no better ideal workload than we have one customer who has to crunch stock data uh, every night. They have no IT department. Uh, we started off, I think, with about six machines that were running to crunch this information. Well, the business has grown. We now need 40 VMs. And, uh, you know, for that customer to have 40 servers sitting on premise for one hour a night makes absolutely no sense. That customer also sells their application and they didn't want to set up an e-commerce store. So we ended up using the Azure Marketplace, um, you know, one of the stores there. And, and what a great way, especially when you're trying out a product, you don't know if it's going to be successful. You certainly don't want to invest hundreds of thousands in equipment. This is a great way for them to try it out. And the worst case scenario for them was they scale it back and only use it for internal customers. So, you know, every single scenario, I think you got to really look at it and make a best judgment. And sometimes, you know, the ideal solution is a hybrid between the two. So it's capitalizing on what's available in the cloud, but also you can capitalize on what's on premise. And, and it's sometimes capitalizing what's on premise could be the goodwill of the executive team. You know, they really want that piece, but let's extend it out to the cloud for the little bits that they need while they're traveling. Uh, and I think build up the, uh, the trust there. At the end of the day, I think over the next 10 years, you're going to see very little that actually needs to stay on premise. And uh, so it's helping those customers make that transition in a way that's going to be low risk and, and help them out. But uh, I digress here. So, yeah, we had a, we had a conversation that, that I just, it just popped in my head. We had this uh, with that same lady at the manufacturing conference and um, she brought up a good point. She said that, you know, all of our projects have a one year ROI and there's companies that do that where they say right. every project has a, have to have a one, two, or maybe even three year ROI, a return on investment. So, you know, if they're going to spend, $100 on, on a solution, 
they need to get that hundred dollars back within, let's say one year. Right. Now, one year ROI is pretty aggressive. I, I think some companies even go shorter than that, which is, seems to be a little crazy, but um, you know, they have the rules. Yeah. And I th- think as a, just to add one more point in there, Jason, I think as a cloud professional, I think that's mm-hmm. really, if you look at what we were just talking about, the main message here is you got to be dynamic and you got to mm-hmm. be inquisitive and you got to be interested in the business. And then that'll yeah. get you to those answers, you know, of, okay, it's a one year ROI. Okay. Now I have some parameters around what I have to do to achieve their business. So, and, and you know, at the end of the day, I think that uh, most people who are spreading this med- message and evangelizing the cloud, they truly do believe in it. And that includes myself. So I'm out there helping customers do that because I do think that is the best direction for their business. And it is something that, you know, it is inevitable. It is the next evolution of computing. So I want to do anything I can to help them get there. Yeah, you guys were really good at asking those questions. So then that piece of information came out and I was like, wait a second. I said, that is that is a really good point. Whenever you have a one year ROI, if you don't have to buy servers with a three year depreciation schedule, that is huge because now we take our original scenario where the the person's talking about buying a a $5,000 server or a $3,000 server, and they would have to uh, make up for that entire server price in the first year if they had a one year ROI. Right. But if it's, um, you know, if if we're using an Azure virtual machine or Azure service where we're paying by the month, well, all we have to do is we have to pay for it on an ongoing basis. So we really can look at our ROI on the, on the service itself is sort of month to month. And then it's really just implementation costs. So it, it gives it gives companies like Skyline a lot more money. I and yeah. I think because you can take the 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 next two years of of money and use that to fund that project, maybe make it even more efficient. So you're using less compute resources. Absolutely. And, and now you 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 sort of have you've sort of turned a one year ROI into a three year and it still fits their parameters. They still get their money back, but you've just put funds into something that's a little bit more meaningful, you know, because Otherwise, that whenever you spend three thousand bucks on a server, that first day, the two thousand dollars of that are for years two and three. Right. Exactly. You know, it's kind of a weird way of thinking about it, but that's what that that is what's going on. You are prepaying for the the uh, you know the end of the life of those of those servers. Well, I think what's missed out there too is they l- literally just look at the cost of the server, uh, and, and especially I'm finding that coming from the IT departments again could be fear, could be any number of things. Um, but nobody takes in consideration the coolant, the power, um, yep. the maintenance of that rack, the wires that run to it, the internet that's needed. Because you got to remember when you're in the cloud, your bandwidth is super cheap and so is your storage. So now all of a sudden, you know, they're not also not adding in that cost of what piece of the sand it's going to take over. The other part is everybody wants their stuff to be successful. Well, when it's successful, that means more demand, which means you now have in order to scale, you may have to buy one additional, one full additional server. Whereas with Azure, I can flip to, you know, whatever from a large to an extra large and it reboots in 10 minutes and I'm ready to go again. There was no ordering. There was no time on the side of sourcing to find the hardware. There was no time for it to get shipped and put into a rack and installed in the OS, put on all those things that you need to do. I did it in 10 minutes. That's probably going to take 10 people, you know, hours and hours just to get one server in that's been my experience in the past so um it's it's it makes sense not a lot of fun can you explain what a cloud vendor evaluation is and then you know do you make your customers go through it 
And kind of how does Azure stack up in those results? Yeah. Or, or do they demand it? Right. So I usually actually just have it as part of the education session or the envisioning session because I think if in order for anyone to make the right choice, they got to know what they're looking for first of all, and they got to know the questions to ask, right? So part of what we're going to educate them on when we go in is what do you look for in a cloud solution? What do you ask in a cloud provider? Just a couple of quick, quick examples. When What am I looking for in a cloud solution provider? Um, I'd like to see a hybrid cloud, possibly uh, being able to do a combination, right, of private and public. They should also have a platform as a service. Again, that's like the creme de creme for a developer. I take care of my application, my data, and everything else is taken care of for the most part, you know, minus deployments, unless you are a mature organization that can automate that. And, and lastly, you know, I want to make sure that I can have proprietary technologies or I don't want to have proprietary technologies that's going to lock me into that provider. I'm looking for something that's flexible in case my business needs change or maybe pricing changes with that cloud provider. And uh, I guess that really wasn't my last point. And I want to use the same tools that I'm using today so I don't have to retrain all my team. You know, what am I, what am I going to ask them? Well, can it integrate with what I already have today? What's the support agreement look like? You know, do I have end-to-end support or am I, what does that model look like? Um, do I have flexible payment options? You know, I don't want to necessarily get locked into one year or three years like I do in a colo. I want to have that option to pay by month because maybe I'm just trying out this application that's a proof of concept. And I certainly don't want to be locked into a server for long term. So I don't talk anything about Microsoft when I'm going through that. Uh, I also take them through um, client lesson learn because I want to, you know, here's the story of going with this provider, or that provider, and we've got a ton of them. And so I want to make sure that they understand what they're looking for in the first place because I do want them to have ownership and decision and not be something that I'm just uh, pushing down their throat. So I kind of get at what you're looking for, Jason, Carl. That makes a lot of sense. So I know earlier in the uh, episode, we talked about the cloud in a box. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, I just, I want to talk about that a little bit more and and when that would make sense for an organization. So I guess, first of all, you know, how often do you, how often do you run into that or, or maybe maybe they don't even come to you, but how often do you get like, you know, c- customers that are saying, I, I have to be able to run this on premises or I I want to I want to run poor, you know, I want to run a hybrid scenario where part of it's on prem, part of it's in the cloud. Yeah, um, all the time. And, and yeah. one thing that's been unique in the last six months is um, we've actually been asked to bid on uh, you know using Azure because we don't have a, we don't have a Colos facility. Skyline does not have a data center, uh, nor will we ever. And we're actually bidding against co-locations, right? And I'm talking like a data center oh, move, really? not like moving a website or an application, a data center move. And we're actually bidding on those now. And it's That's interesting. Cool. You know, they they love the idea. And the most common response then is, well, we as an organization just aren't ready for that. You know, we can handle the colo. But what it does is it opens that conversation in, you know, for the next three years now for us to really talk about how to get them there. And, and because they've seen the savings in a lot of cases, um, they get that they're going to have less maintenance. It's just not an option right now. So it, it's interesting. You know, we, we kind of touched on this, this cloud in a box. I don't have enough information to be sold on it right now. Again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's it's really 
I think you're taking away a lot of the benefits that you get by hosting in something like AWS or Azure. Yep. I mean, again, you're taking away the staff, the security, the audits that they that they already do for you, um, those penetration tests that are ongoing. Yeah, you mentioned like audit. blue versus red. Are you able to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, I, absolutely. I that this is, you know, this is something that I think um, that that Microsoft, I think. Is, is very, and I can't say that it's unique. It's the only cloud provider I've heard of doing this. Um, mm -hmm. Those teams, basically, their entire comp structure uh, is made up of uh, success in penetration and success in production and, and or protection, sorry. And each quarter, those teams are to meet and discuss what their findings were, and they have to give full disclosure. And of course, you know, as you know, the red team has an account. They're not just somebody trying to hack it from the outside. They're actually given an account. So they're they're testing on the APIs. They're going to the portal to make sure. They're they're trying to do any kind of hack they can they can find. And I'm sure they find one. I mean, yeah, the latest stat I heard was 9,000 attempts per minute on Azure. And you know, the thing I like is some of these protocols have come up, like your RDP does get shut down after so many hack attempts. And so if you ever go to uh, remote into your machine on Azure and, and you're blocked out, go into the portal and just see if that port's been shut down. So a lot of those ideas came through from these two teams. And, you know, that's one of the things that economy of scale can do is allow you to have positions like that, have these type of security positions that you, you know, as an organization generally cannot afford, or it's part of somebody's job that they're, you know, doing what they can, but probably have no formal training, but have been told, yeah, you're responsible for this now. So it's just, to me, it's, um, I, I, I guess if you're a larger organization who is going to keep your facility and you want to get, you know, some additional APIs and a better integration through a hybrid model, maybe it is a, a great option. I just don't know enough about it right now to really, truly comment. Yeah, I, I think the really the 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 only advantage there is if they are dead set on we're not ready to move into the cloud. Um, we want you to build this application on top of the cloud, but we want to run it you know, on prem. And the idea there is to use those APIs. So, you know, the code that you're writing doesn't get thrown away in three years from now when they decide to go with the public cloud. But you're absolutely right. You don't get that physical security. You don't get that hyperscale. No, I mean, you, you don't have a NATO gate on the front of your building and nor yeah. will you ever. Yeah. You know, you're right. not going to probably right. have bulletproof glass at the entry with security officers. Uh, you know, so... Um, but you're right, Jason, you know, maybe that is the code you're writing now for today, because obviously you'd have to be a larger enterprise to be able to afford something like this, I'm assuming, or mm -hmm. afford at least the racks and racks of it that you're having. But you're right, you wouldn't throw with the code, you can take on the, the provisioning and deprovisioning. I mean, certainly a lot of advantages of that framework. But uh, I think to get the full advantage, you got to be in the data centers. And not to mention the dark fiber that runs into those facilities. Right. Yeah, if you want to see panic, go to your IT department and say, you know, I need... I need 10,000 cores by tomorrow <laughs> and then try the same thing with Azure. Right. I mean, it's just like it's an email away. It's really just, you know, turning those types of things on. Yeah. Um, so that really shows shows the difference there. It doesn't unless you spend the, uh, you know, three million dollars on on this, you know, these on 10 different racks of, of Azure pack and just have all that capacity sitting idle. But then there's just there's no way that the economics are working on your favor in that case. No, but, you know, as you said earlier, if you've got workloads that are running 24 seven, maybe it is uh, more effective and, and you need that on your local network because maybe it's, um, you know, you have locations that really don't have much bandwidth and, and can't do that kind of thing. So certainly I'm yeah. sure there's a, a time and a place for everything. Um, I can't see this being sold wide scale. You know? 
Yeah. And, and I know one thing that, that you and I have talked about quite a bit too, was, you know, the, there, there are a lot of companies that are, that are holding back right now. Um, they are going, you know, that slice of the pie is going to keep getting smaller and smaller. I mean, they are, they're going to become the minority and some of them even know that, you know, I've talked to people in manufacturing and they're like, yeah, we know that we're behind. We know that we're going to, you know, two years from now, if we stay kind of at our, at our current pace of, of, you know, adoption, we're going to be behind. And, you know, some, a lot of times they, they recognize that and, and they, they are going to be the exception. Uh, yeah. That's the, that's just the, that's just the trend right now. See, you know, in, in a lot of cases when I am seeing that and it's sort of, there is no light at the end tunnel for those folks, what I'm seeing there is people are leaving those companies. I mean, you know yourself, devs, we want to be doing, you know, the the latest and greatest stuff for the most case, maybe not always bleeding edge for everybody. But the thing is, you know, you stay in some of these places and you really are, your skills are just depreciating every single day you're there. And I know that even helps happens with us in consulting where we have folks on site um, who are in some of these organizations. So even for us, you know, it's important to keep a watch on that, but uh, and certainly feel for those folks. Okay. So any last words on uh, selling Azure? Yeah, just go out and try it. You know, there's lots of trials. Find out <laughs> yeah. what you don't know. Get rid of those fears that are probably uh, uh, not real. And I'll give you a great example. I've, uh, you know, I'll provision up a VM while I'm doing a presentation just to show them that I'm telling them, you know, in 10 minutes we'll have this up and running. Well, sometimes it's better to show that, right? So I'll, you know, go on to a couple of slides. The VM gets up and running. I'll connect to it. And when I log in, they go, oh, that's the same as what we have on premise today. Yep. And it's like they're they're thinking there's going to be some kind of different OS or some kind of different interface. It's not. You know, it's it's just a more robust structure now that you can do more than VMs. And it's a whole suite of things that you can do, including monitoring. So get out there and start dabbling in that stuff. I mean, some of the latest things like machine learning. This is stuff that us as whether you're a data scientist or a developer, I mean, you'd have to be at very few organizations could afford that. And now I can go in and spin up experiments. I mean, how cool is that and I got pretty much no limitation on what I can store for data to like uh, track if machines are going to have failure I mean this is your chance to really get out there get ahead of it bring it to your organization and for you to to make the next evolution in your career and I think the cloud is where to do it because everything and the internet of things um, everything is going to be tied to this whether it's uh, it's already started but certainly in the next number of years so I, I can't say any more than just get out there get an account try some applications, even if it's building a website for your neighbor's business, you know, whatever it happens to be. Get educated, hit the gym, make it happen. <laughs> pump some cloud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah pump some cloud. <laughs> hey, those clouds, I mean, they weigh tons. I, anyway, that's, I, I'm not going to go off on that, but clouds literally weigh tons. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Azure pick of the week, and we'll, we'll do this one pretty quick uh, in the interest of time here. Uh, so we got Azure resource group. So I wanted to talk about resource groups real quick. Yeah. Um, Cause if you use the new Azure portal, it's a way of letting you uh, group a whole bunch of different services together that make up a component in your application. So, you know, you typically don't deploy a website that doesn't have a database or a file store or something like that. So the idea behind resource groups is to have this new type of container that keeps these resources together. And then it also gives you a way to provision them. So there's an API where you can, use uh, JSON files that you uh, you send through an API and it basically says, this is what I want 
uh, this configuration will look like. It's desired state configuration. It's probably one of the best features that have come out this year. And yeah, uh, probably yeah. one that doesn't have a whole lot of press around. It doesn't. Have, but this is a really cool feature, folks. It's huge for, for mm. especially for DevOps. So, oh, huge. Yeah. So what, what you end up doing is you say, I, I, need, I need another unit of, you know, whatever, or I need to deploy this, this particular service. And that service deploy could actually be, you know, the deployment of a website and, you know, the associated uh, um, SQL database along with it. And it will know the order that they have to be created in. And you could also do like machine dependencies and things like that. And it'll it'll look at what the configuration needs to be and it'll just make it happen. And then it can also deal with some failures and things like that where it'll, you know, do retries and and uh, those types of things. So there's a lot to it. I'm sure there's more, um, you know, right now it's it's kind of an early, um, you know, it's an early product. I'm sure there's, you know, over time there's going to be more and more information coming out. So check it out. Uh, and then what do we get for the app of the week, Carl? My app of the week is uh, an app called Music Smash. This okay. is something that's been on Windows Phone since nearly the beginning. Although they've made some really just steady and incremental updates to it that have just really made this an outstanding app today. Whereas at the beginning, you could tell it was a little bit rough around the edges. And what this does is it integrates with your music and it'll play the lyrics back in a karaoke style. So it'll, <laughs> no matter where you jump in, it just kind of knows where it is and it'll scroll right to that part of the song. And this is something where in the past it had a little bit of troubles with, but it had a big update recently where it gave it that capability just to be rock solid. And it also does some of the SoundCloud kind of, you know, song detection. So if you're just listening to a song, it'll figure out what song it is and pull all that up as well. Oh, that's very cool. I know that was part of um, like SoundHound, I think had that. I don't know if that's on Win- if it's on Windows Phone, the, the lyrics yep. portion. This is pretty cool, though. How come yeah. I, get, I so I I click through on the website and I got the Spanish version of the app? Did you get that? Um, did you do the Windows Phone or the Windows <laughs> yeah, Store? Windows Phone Store. Uh, mine is set to English, so that's something it's detecting on your end. But um, anyways, the design oh, of this is just really, really well done as well. Um, you know, where the one on SoundCloud on all the platforms, you know, it's it, it gets a little texty and a little bit rough, but this. They're really taking advantage of, you know, uh, several designers there and it just looks and it feels great. It's fun to interact with and my kids like it too. So yeah, that's it, huge. It looks like a really cool app. There we go. I finally got to the English version. I, I don't know what's going on there. It's like I, they have it. They have the link pointing to um, no, a different I, language. I put the, the type of link in there that'll redirect to your built in language. So it's something on your end. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, we'll try to figure it out later. Hopefully that doesn't happen for our listeners. <laughs> nope. It's time for the question of the week though, Jason. Okay. So Kenny, this Uh-oh. is a game we play. Uh-oh. Uh, pick a number between one and four. Ah, uh, five. I'm kidding. You should have seen the video too. Cause I was looking for five. That's uh, wow. <laughs> I'm a little slow. <laughs> I'll go with two. Okay. That's my hockey jersey number. Out of of range exception, and I just like fall over. (laughs) Okay, number two. Oh, it's a sports thing, too. Okay. Oh, God. Okay, listen to this. In a basketball game with you and four friends against a pro basketball team, Mm -hmm. would you rather be able to replace one of your teammates with Batman or with Spider Man? Who? For basketball? Definitely Spider Man. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Seems yep. I, I could see him like, you know, using his uh, his web there to hit the rafters yep. um, and just 
go right on over. Uh, maybe Batman could hook it up to a boomerang, but it probably deflate the I, ball. I think so that's against. I think that's against the rules too. I, don't, <laughs> I think I think Batman would have to be Bruce Wayne, and that just—I'm sure he's not good at basketball. <laughs> yeah, without all his equipment, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that was an easy question. Okay, Carl, one through four. I'll pick three. Three. Would you rather wear a motorcycle helmet to bed every night, or always <laughs> sleep with shoes and jeans on? Oh. Um, I don't know. I think I'd have to wear the helmet. Really? Yeah. Maybe I guess if it was a nice helmet, I guess you could use that instead of a pillow, right? Ooh, man. Is that your thinking? You explain that more, Carl. I, you I know, know. I'm, I'm thinking, thinking about I'm wearing thinking a helmet. Shoes and jeans. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, there's just times, you know, like if I get too hot, I'm going to have a hard time sleeping, which, you know, being a, having a breathing in a helmet, eh, maybe you can at least keep the visor up. <laughs> <laughs> <You know what? laughs> and the show is jump the shark so. <laughs> okay let's move on <laughs> okay well you can find me at ytechie.com or at twitter.com slash ytechie kenny where can we find you it's uh, at kenny it thoughts okay and we'll have everything else linked in the show notes carl you can find me at wpdevguy.com or on twitter at carl schweitzer Okay, and then make sure you send uh, feedback to feedback at msdevshow.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show by searching for msdevshow in your favorite podcasting app. And then make sure you go to msdevshow.com and leave us some comments. Um, Like Carl said, no matter what you send us, we will read it on the air. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get some good email now, Carl. Uh, And then make sure you leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or whatever podcast aggregator you choose that I haven't heard of. Uh, So, Kenny, thank you so much for coming on here. That was a great discussion, and I learned a few things, so thank you. Thank you for helping me, or uh, having me on. I'm sorry. Wow. (laughs) It is Monday. I'm glad I could help you. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Goodbye.